We continue our determined series this morning. We, this is our sixth message as we look at the sixth chapter of Nehemiah. And as we approach this, uh, I would like for us to pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Nehemiah has shown us to this point what it means to have a vision from you and to not stop, but to continue building and working for your glory. May you take this message and may you multiply it, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you've ever heard the term or maybe felt the words creep into your life, sometimes even in your own voice, saying, Give up. What's the use? Or nobody's following, nobody's listening. All of these phrases and these terms that tell us to quit fighting, to stop, and to give up. I'm telling you today, as we learn from Nehemiah, do not listen to those voices. They are lies from the pit of hell. They are designed by the devil, and they are designed by our own sinful natures. Some of you this morning, if you were to be honest, in some area of your life, you said, what's the use? I'm to this. I'm not enough that. Or maybe the church. The church will never be this. Or the church won't be that. Or what is the use? You have to be careful using those terminologies. Because whether you don't say it physically with your mouth, it can be seen in your actions. And in my actions, it can be seen in the look and the countenance of your faces as we walk into church week after week with a defeated attitude. We are champions. We are blood-bought Christians by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that the war is won, but we still must fight the battle. Do not give up. Do not stray. And do not get sidetracked from what our mission is. Our mission is to love God and to love others. Those two things. To love God and to love others. And what happens is that so many times we give up right before God is ready to do something amazing. If you are on the edge of your seat of of almost getting ready to give up in whatever area you are struggling with, let me give you encouragement from Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah tells us to stick to our guns. To stick to our guns. And so the question to frame up the sermon this morning is, how am I supposed to respond when someone attacks me personally when I am serving God? It's one thing to talk about a problem in culture. It's one thing to talk about the problem in a church. It's one thing to identify something that's going on around you. But what happens when it gets personal? What happens when it is directly aimed at you or me? How do we respond in those situations? Well, Nehemiah is going to tell us because... The term stick to your guns, it is a 300-year-old expression, which means to hold on to your beliefs and your position. And it comes from a soldier's responsibility to stay at his post or his gun and not to run even when the battle rages. When you are in the battle and bullets are flying past your head, and you're seeing loved ones, and you're seeing brothers and sisters in the service that are, that are, are being killed. The, the term, stick to your guns, means to, to man that gun and do not stop firing until you either run out of ammunition or you are not able to fire. Stick to your guns. And I wish that we had the same mentality when it came to our spiritual walk, because so many times... We want to be spoon-fed everything about the Lord and not dig for it ourselves. Folks, we are at war. There is a world that does not want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There are people here that want to see churches 
not succeed. There are people and things in your life that do not want to see you succeed because if you succeed because of your faith, then that means that whatever they believe in is not valid and they do not want that to happen. Folks, we are at war and we need to stick to our guns. We need to continue to shoot. We need to continue to engage in the fight. There are many forces that try to squelch what God is doing in our lives and in our church. So let's follow Nehemiah's example this morning and see how he serves God in the midst of personal attacks. Because at this point we see that the walls have been rebuilt. The walls, there are no gaps in the walls. The only thing left to do is to put on the gates and the hinges. I'll never forget when we were waiting for our house to be built. It would, we would go by there every day. I mean every day. And we would see a little bit happen and a little bit happen. But boy, I'm telling you what, when we saw those final stages, we got excited. And folks, I'm here to tell you, in your lives, whatever walls around your life, whether it be spiritual walls or relationships or just frame of mind, if you've got things in your lives that are crumbling around you, keep building. In this church, keep building. We need people to serve. We need people to pray. We need people to love. We need feet that will physically take the gospel out into our community. I was so excited on Wednesday night, some of our ladies had gone out for our fall out-of-summer spectacular canvassing where we gave out flyers, and they were so excited because some people they gave flyers to came on Wednesday night. God is still at work at Homeland Park Baptist Church. And it doesn't matter what your age is, if you are available, God is going to use you. And at this point we see that the walls have been rebuilt, and Sambalit and his cronies are the ones that are opposing Nehemiah. They are having a hard time because they are about to see the walls be completely rebuilt. So they have one last attempt, one last tactic, one last trick up their sleeves, and that is to make it personal. They tried to do it indirectly. They tried to, to spur uh, animosity among Nehemiah's people. They tried to discourage Nehemiah. They tried everything that they could to stop the work of God being the walls being rebuilt. They could not do it. So now their last ditch attempt was to make it personal. Listen, I, I know I've been in ministry long enough to know that not everybody is going to be happy at any given time. I understand that. You know, and I've understood. And I understand now that hurt people love to hurt people. And I understand that not everybody is going to be on track with what God wants to do. Not just this church, but any church. And it doesn't matter where you are. If you have a group of people together, there are going to be people that have differing opinions. And that's not a bad thing until it becomes personal. You would be amazed... At the scars that ministers and missionaries and deacons and lay leaders and people that are spiritual leaders in churches all across the world, you would be amazed at the scars that they have been in, of wounds that have been inflicted by people that call themselves their sheep. Folks, Nehemiah is taking a hit, and we see here that they, they ratchet up. The pressure, because what happens here is that they have become desperate. Sambalit and all the people see these walls going up. They know that if the walls go up and Jerusalem has been rebuilt, they lose their power, they lose their money, they lose their prominence, they lose everything. This is a desperate attempt. And what we see here is that desperate people use desperate measures. Amen? Desperate people use desperate measures to attack God's work and His workers. The enemy, Satan, he 
attacks our spiritual leaders. He works in churches, in Bible studies, and in deacons, and families, and friends, and etc. And if Satan can take out a spiritual leader, if Satan can take out a spiritual leader, he will cripple the whole ministry and discredit the work of Christ. I've always said that if you attack a shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And I, I have seen, unfortunately, in my times of ministry, I have seen times when there have been people that have attacked those in spiritual leadership. And be forewarned, it does not work out well for them. Sanballat and his allies wanted to influence and infuse chaos into Nehemiah's order. Uh, there was a famous person that wrote this about the, the work that chaos can do. He said, mental confusion, contradictions of feeling, indecisiveness, panic. These are our weapons. If we can make people second guess, if we can make people not confident, we've got them. Do you know who that person was? Adolf Hitler. Yes, he had weapons, but the weapons that were far more powerful were the ones that he tried to inflict on people mentally and spiritually. Nehemiah, fortunately, did not listen to his enemies. And he stayed focused on God's faithfulness and their task at hand. And now, as I was getting ready to preach this sermon, I was afraid people would think that we have all these problems and that's why I'm preaching it. No, that when you preach through the book of the, uh, a book of the Bible, you let the, the, the book do the preaching. And so, it's not like this is... I'm not pulling out my spiritual gun and, and loading it full of verses trying to blow people away. I'm just saying, just like a golfer, I'm playing it where it lies. And so what we see here is we see in Nehemiah chapter 6, let's look at verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. When Sambalit, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no gap left in it. Though at the time I had not installed the doors and the gates, Sambalit and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley, but they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And I love it in verse 4. It says, four times. Four times they sent me the same proposal, and I gave them the same reply. Can you imagine getting a request from your enemies to meet them somewhere in a neutral place so they can get on board with you and help you out? Four times. The first time, no. Second time, no. Third time, no. Fourth time, they, they weren't taking no for an answer, were they? Well, as we read on, we see that four times they sent me the same proposal. I gave them the same reply. In verse 5 it says, Sambalit sent me this same message a fifth time by his side who had an open letter in his hand. Whew. An open letter in his hand. I'll leave that for just a moment. We see here that in verses 1 through 4, they were wanting Nehemiah to do something that is a trap of anyone that is in leadership. Now, don't think that I am preaching just to preachers. I'm not preaching just to someone who is a leader in our church. Folks, leadership is influence. And let me ask you something. Do you have influence over anyone, a child, a spouse, a friend, a group of people. If you have influence, you are a leader. Now, how much of a leader, that's between you and the Lord. But we see here, if you have people in your life that you lead, do not do this, this one thing that we see here. Compromise. They are trying to get Nehemiah to compromise. Okay, because they are desperate. Samuel and Geshem wanted to meet Nehemiah in a small, 
neutral place where they could bring harm on him. That would be like if someone said, uh, uh, Pastor, we want to meet with you out in a field out in the middle of due west and I'll give you the directions and, and, and we're just going to have a talk with you. <laughs> I don't think I'd like to do that. You know? Because uh, you, you don't, I mean, especially if it were people that had a history of not being so nice. But they were hoping that they could get Nehemiah out to where they could talk to him and possibly even harm him. And if, if Nehemiah would have said, oh, finally, my enemies are coming around to me and just blindly went out there and met with them, the work of the Lord could have stopped on the walls. But the strategy of Nehemiah's enemies was if you can't beat them, join them and then take them down from the inside. If you can't beat them, join them and then take them down from the inside. Every organization, every church has had people that have come through their doors and the sole reason that they were brought in was to cause dissension, to cause problems, and to make whatever organization it was, implode from the inside out. That's what they were trying to do here, once again, because they were desperate. And once the enemy gets a foothold on your life, folks, once you let the enemy in your life, he seeks to weaken you from the inside with compromise. One of the biggest things I learned as a teenager, and I learned a lot of things, but the biggest thing I learned was never to say this statement. Are you ready? Never say this statement. Well, I will never. And then you just insert whatever you want there. I will never do this. I will never do that. Never say never. Because there were things that I said that I would never do. As a good little church boy. There were things I said I would never do that I did. And why was it? Compromise. I let little things become big things in my life. What areas in your life are you allowing compromise to sneak in at? Saying, this little bit won't hurt. Take just this, this little inch here. And then before you know it, you're lost like a rapid in a river. Do not allow compromise in your life. Little footholds. Maybe... Little footholds in a marriage or in a family or in a relationships. Maybe in your thought life. Things that you're thinking about that you know are not leading to a godly lifestyle. Maybe it's integrity. Maybe it's even in financial or legal dealings. As we learned with Samson, people often ask, how in the world did Samson let Delilah cut his hair? And as we learned when we studied Samson, Samson made a lot of little compromises before he made the big compromise. And many of you have people in your life, maybe even in your own family, and maybe even yourself, that said, oh, how in the world could that have happened? How could they have made that decision? Well, it starts with compromise. Nehemiah's enemies had nothing in common with him. Nothing in common with him. And the compromise in a good marriage is, is that's good compromise. When you are compromising with one another, to make, you know, what do you want to eat? Well, I want to eat healthy. Well, I don't want to eat healthy. And then you, you, you finally come to an agreement, that, that's good. Or it, maybe you're sitting down and you're, as a family, deciding what you're going to do financially, or, or maybe it's a move. Maybe it, There are times when you have to give and take, right? That's a good thing because you both have the same purpose. Even in churches, churches have to have compromise. Okay? And so we see that if compromise is done by people that are called to the same purpose, it is a positive thing. But when you have compromise between someone that's doing the Lord's work and someone that is not, it is disaster. Nehemiah's opposition, if anything, <laughs> they were persistent. How many times did they ask? It's an open book test. How many times did they ask Nehemiah to come join them? Four times. Four times. You'd think they would have gotten the hint. 
while they were persistent. And understand this. Any time, any time you attempt to do something for God, any time you attempt to take your relationship with God seriously, any time you draw the line in the sand and say, God, I'm going to take a stand for this, or God, I'm going to work and, and do this, or God, I'm going to lead in this way, any time you take a stand, the opposition of those that are against you, and especially the devil, will be persistent. Satan's got all day, folks. And he will wait for you to mess up. But when you are tried, and when you are challenged by opposition, that is a testimony that God is at work in your life. Because where there is opposition against what you're doing for God, you've also got the protection and the love of God. Amen? Come on now. Come on. We're called on we are called to the same purpose, to love the Lord and to love people, and, and and we don't need to be sidetracked into all these other little things that the enemy wants to get us sidetracked on. He uses compromise. And also we see that he uses slander with the open letter. Oh man, the open letters. Again, I, I've had my share, thankfully not here. But I've had my share of people that wrote open letters. You know what an open letter is, right? An open letter is something where you, where you, where you get it, and someone has wrote down all the things that they think are wrong with you, and it doesn't have a name on it. Wow! If that is not the most cowardly thing to do, what do you do when you get an open letter? Put it in an open basket. That's what you do with them. And if you write me one, I promise you that's where it's going to go. They had an open letter. They were writing an open letter campaign. The open letter was just an unverified rumor. It was gossip. You want me to tell you how you know whether you're gossiping or not? Here you go. Here's a surefire way to know if what you're saying is gossip. Gossip is something that you have to hurry up and tell before you find out that it's true. That is gossip. And if you're doing that, stop! The Bible calls it godless chatter. 2 Timothy 2, 15-16 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. And in verse 16, But avoid irreverent, empty speech. For this will produce an even greater measure of ungodliness. Be warned, if you are a gossip, or you have friends that are gossipers, I guarantee you this, 100% money-back guarantee, if they're, if they're talking with you about somebody else, when you are not around, they are talking about you. That's the way gossip works. Well, that's what Samblet and his army of, of, of opposition was trying to do to Nehemiah. But back then, for letters to be official, they not only had to be signed by whoever wrote them, but they had a seal. That, you know, they would like melt wax and put the seal on it so you would know that it was an official letter from whoever sent it. Well, Nehemiah could not get them to take their plan seriously, so they attacked him directly. Now, here's the thing about an open letter that they wrote about Nehemiah. The problem was, if you remember way back at the beginning of this series, on whose authority was Nehemiah in Jerusalem rebuilding the walls for? We know, as Christians, it was, it was a God thing, but who gave him the access? Who gave him the authority? It was King Artaxerxes. And he was one of King Artaxerxes' men. And so, if the letter would have gotten back to the king Artaxerxes that, that Nehemiah was trying to bolster the troops, he was rebuilding the wall, and he was getting people to call him king so that he could conquer Jerusalem and become powerful, that would have been treason. 
and the king surely would have killed him. So what did Nehemiah do? Did he form a committee? Did he run away? Did he stop what he was doing? Well, let's look and see in verses 5 through 9 of chapter 6. Samblet sent me this message the fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you have become their king, and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf. There is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Woo, they have got it down, do they not? They have got a letter nailing Nehemiah to the wall. Good job, Samuel. They got it right where they want them, don't they? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 8. Then I replied to him. I love this. There is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will become discouraged in the work, and it will never be finished. But now, but now, my God, strengthen me. We see here that they were accusing him of treason, and they were trying to undermine the very work that Nehemiah was doing. Phrases like, it's been reported, or I love this one. They say, you know, preacher, they're saying, you know, so-and-so. And this is also my favorite. Preacher, there's a group of people in our church that are unhappy about something. Okay, fine. That's a group. Who are they? Well, they don't want me to tell you their names. <laughs> how, how do you fix that? You don't. There's always going to, when you are doing something for the Lord, there is always going to be opposition. When you are trying to lead your family, when you are trying to lead at your job, when you are trying to lead in your spiritual walk among your friends, when you are trying to lead, there is always going to be someone to tell you to stop. And there is always going to be people that are going to make allegations against you. But what defense did Nehemiah have? He had his integrity to know you can say anything you want about me, but everything you said in there is a lie. Folks, if you're not living a life of integrity and people talk about you, there might be some truth to it. But if you are living for God and trying to live a life of integrity, people can say things about you all day long. They can even put it on Facebook. Woo! Drama on Facebook! Man, some of you say, I just don't have Facebook. Good for you. Don't start. Because comment, so-and-so, I mean, that's like, oh, my mama, bless her heart. I don't know what happened. I don't know whether she hit a button, I hit a button, or what happened. But she, she called me yesterday, and she was upset. She said, James, you unfriended me on Facebook. That's okay, I guess. And she was saying, I was like, Mom, what are you talking about? I didn't unfriend you on Facebook. You're my mom. I don't know whether it was a, you know, you get so many invites now, you don't know whether it's a real person or some kind of scam. But I said, no, I didn't do that. I mean, we had five-minute discourse on why I did not unfriend her. Trauma, trauma, trauma. But it's one thing when that drama online comes into the real world. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I did not unfriend her. I don't know what happened. But we're going to fix it. Mama's going to be okay, alright? We're fine. Mama's going to be okay. We're going to get Facebook worked out. But when it comes to the drama and people circulate drama, whether it be in your life, in a church, in an organization, in the political realm, Folks, if you live a life of integrity, they can say whatever they want. Because God will have your back. Nehemiah was confident in his character. Nehemiah knew that there was no basis for the lies that they were saying. And we must live in our, our lives in a way to where we don't have to worry when people talk about us. 
And we see here, I love in verse 9, where it says they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining they could in, that they could discourage and stop the work. But at the end of verse 9, he says, this is another translation, he says, So I continued the work with even greater determination. Our series is determined in the more heat and fluff that Sambalat and his friends stirred up, the more determined Nehemiah became. So determined, in fact, that he finished rebuilding the walls in a record 52 days. Because he didn't give any kind of credence or any kind of time to his oppositions that was unfounded and ungodly. We see in verses 10 through 14 that we need to be very careful of where people want to lead you. Please, folks, be very careful of where people want to lead you. In verses 10 through 14, we see, I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Medabal, who was restricted to his house. He said, Let us meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let us shut the door, temple doors because they're coming to kill you. Wow, they've gone from rumors to an open letter and to now a death threat. He tells, uh, this, this Shemaiah tells Nehemiah that they're, they're coming to kill you and they're coming tonight. But I said, Nehemiah said, should a man like me run away? How can I enter the temple and live? I will not go. Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sambalit had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated to do as he suggested, to sin and to get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. Shemaiah was a priest that was a hired prophet. We also call that a false prophet. He was a religious man that Sambalat and Tobiah and them hired to give Nehemiah this false accusation. Folks, hear me and hear me loud. When any time I say this, or anybody on your TV, or on your computer, or on your radio, when they use this phrase, you very careful, including myself. When someone says, God told me. What do we do when someone says, God told me? God told me, folks. If I scream it, it's going to sound official, right? God told me. Well, sometimes God does speak to me in those ways. And if he does, I'm going to tell you that. But whatever I say, I have to, and you have to, back it up with Scripture. That, this, this is the test. God, as we studied this morning, this is God's final word. He doesn't have to attest to anything else. He sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to be his final word for our salvation. So if I say God told me something, it better match up to what's in here. And if you are listening to people in your lives that are saying, God told me something, please back it up with Scripture. Don't be so lazy just to assume that what they're saying is the truth. I've been to plenty of car salesmen. And they don't always tell me the truth. I've been to plenty... Of appliance store salesmen. Now, if you're a car salesman, I'm not slamming on them because they got a job to do. They got to eat, right? But it's like I tell people, I, you do what you want to do with your money. But for me, I am not always going to look for the cheapest deal. I want someone that's going to treat me honestly, even if it costs a little more. So, when someone says God told me, you better test it out. He had a death threat. Nehemiah cross-checked Shemaiah's word against scriptures. Jesus told his disciples 
in Matthew chapter 10, verse 15. He says, Look, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves. Why was it so bad? Why was it not a good idea for Nehemiah to enter the temple with Shemaiah? Let me tell you. Shemaiah was a priest. Nehemiah was not. So for Nehemiah to walk into the temple, it's very likely he would have been punished, maybe even killed for that action because Nehemiah was not a priest. It was a setup, as much as a setup can be. But Nehemiah was not a priest. And he knew if he entered the temple, he could have been killed anyway. Because we see here, I love this, and here's our aha moment. This is the takeaway. This is where the refrigerator light hopefully comes on in your brain. Are you ready? Nehemiah feared God more than Shemaiah. Nehemiah feared God more than Shemaiah. It would have been very easy for Nehemiah to say, someone's coming to kill me tonight. Let's go. What would have happened if Nehemiah had ran? What would have happened if he would have tucked the tail? I'll tell you what would have happened. The wall, the, wall, the work, the putting of the gates and the finishing touches would have stopped. Sambalit and his men would have been successful. Because, folks, when we run from conflict, listen, leaders, again, if you have influence over someone, you are a leader. When we run from opposition, we are leaving those that we lead behind. Sometimes the opposition that is right in front of you may not be even to benefit you, but it might be there to benefit someone that you're leading. Maybe a family member. Maybe a friend. Maybe another church member. Maybe, who knows? But we do not need to run from opposition. Because Nehemiah's people, their leader would have been gone, they would have been scared, and they would have lost their power. God protects you and reminds you of those who attack you that he is on your side. What kept Nehemiah from running away? There were two things. His love for God and his love for those that were shepherding. What did I say at the beginning of this message? There are two things we need to do. Love God and to love others. That is going to take form in the way that we lead others as well. So please, there's always people in our lives that are authorities. We need to pray for our government. We need to pray for our leaders. I, I covet your prayers. I need your prayers. Our deacons need your prayers. Our teachers need your prayers. Our church needs your prayers. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2 say that Paul encourages Timothy, first of all, then I urge you, that petitions and prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. When is the last time you sat down and prayed for me? I know many of you do it all the time. And that, this, this message is not about me, but, but as a leader, I need your prayers. Tammy, Jason, our musicians, our, our teachers, our deacons, our nursery workers, everybody, we need your prayers. You might think it might not matter much, but it does. Because we are attacked every day. And we covet your prayers and your love. Finally, we need to focus on God's word, not backstabbers and naysayers. We need to focus on God's word, not backstabbers and naysayers. Let's look at verses 15 through 19 as we finish up. The wall was completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul, which was the 1st of October. When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated. Whew, I'm fixing to preach here in a minute. And lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. 
What is the wake-up moment that Sambalot and all of his opposition has at this moment after 52 days when the walls were completed? They weren't fighting Nehemiah. They were not opposing Nehemiah. They were opposing the work of God. And when you take on God, the results you're not going to be happy with. Because this was a work of God. We see in verse 17, During those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was a son-in-law of Shaniah, son of Urah, and his son Jehonan had married the daughter of Mesulam and the son of Berchiah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So, last but not least, we have had rumors, we have had compromise, we have had death threats, and now we have backstabbers. We have, right here, we have Tobiah talking with people within Nehemiah's leadership, and they are drawn to Tobiah because of family ties. Because that's why they put all that stuff about marriage and relationships there. It was a family thing. And so Tobiah's family members were in Nehemiah's circle of leadership giving Tobiah backhanded information that Tobiah used against Nehemiah. Backstabbing and naysayers. Because we see here that Satan does not quit attacking the godly. We see in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness of 40 days and 40 nights, in Luke 4.13, it says, After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him. Amen, right? Satan departed from Jesus after he tempted him in the wilderness for 40 days. That was the end of it, right? Oh, I forgot something. If you, if you had your Bibles open and you read that, you'd have seen that the devil left for a time. Folks, just because you win today doesn't mean you'll win tomorrow. Because if we think that way, we'll stop depending on the Lord. There is always going to be an attack on the godly. For example, you remember Jaws? 1975 was when that movie came out. Now they have like Shark Week and where they, they have a whole week of all these kind of stuff. I've got friends that actually, they pay a lot of money to swim with sharks. Why? They try to talk me into it. I mean, I don't have much to worry about. If I swim with sharks, I'll probably choke them. So they're not going to mess with me. Alright? But if you remember... Yeah, and it's, it's crazy for me to remember. Some of you are of, the, are of the age where you don't even remember that movie. But for me, in my generation, we don't want to go in the ocean. Why? Because Charles was going to get us. And so you would see the movie, and all of a sudden, you'd see the fin come up. And that was scary, wasn't it? And then you heard the dun-dun, dun-dun. And then as he got closer, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And that was scary. But you know what, for me, the scariest part was? Is while the music was still going, and the fin disappeared under the water. Where is he going to go? When is he going to come up and get you? Oh my goodness, it's so scary. Here's the thing, folks. Listen. We're not always going to see Satan working in our lives and against us. But just because you don't see him, don't think that he is not scheming against you. If you don't see the devil, that's when you need to be scared. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to devour anyone he can. we see that these backstabbers had connections. Their bond 
of human connection took precedence over their bond of spiritual affection. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is they were more dedicated to their family's way of life than doing what the Lord had called them to do. Folks, when you let family members keep you from being who God wants you to be, you're doing the very same thing. How in the world could these Jewish men who are leaders in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem work to be backstabbers who were giving information to Tobiah? The question is, are you and I, are we totally yielded to the Lord? Are we fully obedient to God? Do we ever permit relationships and situations and sinful desires? Do we ever let these things influence our judgment to the point of where we deliberately, deliberately choose to be in disobedience to God? I'm here to tell you folks, take it to somebody who knows it and practices it, there have been times to where I knew what God was saying, but I chose to do something else. It was called disobedience and it was called sin. And although the problem is, is if we sin and we don't get punished immediately, what do we think? Whew, got away with it. Oh, no. It's just like that shark. It goes underwater, but when it comes back up, it's going to bite you. Hmm. Shark sandwich. Mm. Nehemiah's claim to fame. Nehemiah's saving grace. I asked you at the beginning, what do you do when people attack you personally? I want you to understand, here is the answer to that question. Here is how Nehemiah dealt with this whole situation. We work for the glory of God. Say that with me. We work for the glory of God. One more time. We work for the glory of God in our home, in our business, in our church, in our private life. Everything that we are in our life, we work for the glory of God. And anybody that wants to get in our way, let him deal with them. Because in the, I don't know what the lady's name is, but she's on the internet and... Um, she's really famous on, on Facebook and stuff. To quote her, I ain't got time for that. I, I know that English is terrible, but I ain't got time for that. I do not have time for godless chatter and worldly opposition that is contrary to the work that God wants to do in my life, in this church, in this community, in this world. And I am looking for people, and God is calling people here that feel the same way to where we are going to say no to godless chatter, we are going to say no to those that seek to destroy what God is doing, and keep building these walls until it is finished. That's what Nehemiah tells us in chapter 6, that we work for the glory of God. Now, I'm not telling you we're going to get everything perfect in 52 days. But we're going to take it one day at a time, folks. And the thing is that if we are fighting for God, He's always going to have our backs. Amen? Nothing is beyond God's ability. Nothing is beyond God's ability. Stick to your guns. As we reach the end of the chapter, we see that the wall is complete, that it's finished in verse 15. As we studied earlier, it's not the end for Nehemiah and his people. You know what the rest of the book of Nehemiah talks about? Because the walls are built, right? We need to have a chicken fellowship and celebrate it and move on to something else, right? That's what Baptists do. All you need is chicken and potato salad, right? And we got a fellowship. That's not what's happening here. The walls are built. And the rest of the book of Nehemiah talks about how they must continue to protect what God built through them. Folks, I treasure Holman Park Baptist Church. I treasure you as members and as friends 
I mean, heck, you are family. And hopefully it goes both ways. But we need to stop letting life just happen. And we need to come to church and live our lives with the purpose of rebuilding and working for the glory of God. Personally, what work is God trying to do in your life? Do that for His glory. What about the work God is trying to do in this church? Yep, the cards are stacked against us. It doesn't make a lot of sense. What about the cool kids? That's okay. I've never been a cool kid. But you know what? We're working for the glory of God. Philippians 1.6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Everything is relative, folks, and I promise I'm closing. I said it twice, but I mean it this time. I wasn't here, but to, but to think about Tim Town being behind our church here with a bunch of tin shacks. And to see one woman that got a letter from a boy asking for help to help start Francis Memorial Church. That building now where AA meets, that's where we were. You think they ever dreamed we would have this corner? Do you think that when the sanctuary was actually our education space, do you think they ever thought we'd have this sanctuary? What God begins, He will complete. We are not done. We are not finished. We are going to go for the glory of God. We are going to work for the glory of God. And the only way we can do that corporately as a church is if you do that individually. In everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this message. I thank You for the fact that Nehemiah has showed us that we need to stay in tune with You and what You have for our lives. And You will handle the opposition. And Lord, as, as we do every Sunday, I do not apologize for this one bit. If there is someone here that has said, I have given in to opposition, and that I don't know if I have that security of knowing that God is with me, and I want to know Him as my Savior and Lord, if that's you this morning, come forward, I want to pray with you. Coming forward is not the magical answer, but the prayer is not even the magical answer, but if your will allows God's will to come into your life, and you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He will have your back. And it's not a one-time, one-and-done decision. It's a lifetime decision. If you'd like to accept Christ today, come forward. If you would like to have prayer to rededicate your life, come forward. If, if you have any need, you have to come to this altar and pray. The altar is open. Or if you'd like to join this church, either way, God is at work here. And he will continue to work and will give him glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?